Welcome back to Merendiando for the second live episode. We have the privilege to be part of the Caminos Festival where we did four live episodes before every show and this one is one of them. Yes, in this episode, we're going to feature our conversation with Christine Quintana, who's an amazing playwright, actor, artistic producer based in Vancouver. And she was here at the Caminos Festival because she was presenting her new uh, work called Clean. Christine is a Chicano-Canadian playwright and actor, and you're going to hear all about her. But in our conversation, we talked about being crunchy lingual, which is one of my new favorite words, Mm. about... Christine's desire to expand the canon of Latin Canadian plays. And her mission right now is to make more interesting roles for women mm-hmm, and Latinx people. So it's super cool that we got to chat with her. And also speaking about crunchy, what about those empanadas from Dulcinella? So good, so good. Yeah. We have to make sure to shout out Dulcinella because they gave us snacks every conversation for us and our um, guests. And they're so delicious. A family-owned Venezuelan bakery. If you ever need a delicious cake or a delicious Venezuelan pastry, you got to just call these people up. They will hook you up. And while eating these snacks, we were like, mm, I need a little bit of beverage. And we had amazing beer from... McCausland Beer. So thank you to both of them for supporting the live episodes and making them even sweeter. So why don't you all just sit back, relax, grab your own snack, and uh, listen in on our awesome conversation with Christine Quintana. We have a really great guest with us tonight, the one and only Christine Christine Quintana. Quintana. I think that's the first time I've ever been introduced with my last name said the way it's supposed to be said. Really? <laughs> yeah. Aww. Yay. That's awesome. <laughs> Christine is many things. Tonight, she is really just highlighted as a playwright because your play, Clean, is getting a reading tonight at the festival. So that's really wonderful. But Christine's also an actor and a dramaturg and an artistic producer and just a And your bio is beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I was like, wow, okay. Many things. It's many things <laughs> yeah. you do. Um, so, yes, welcome to the Caminos Festival. Oh. Have you been to the Caminos Festival before? I feel like I have. Well, I went to uh, Rutas. Yes, last with, year? Uh, Broken Tailbone. Okay. I was oh, apprenticing okay. on that production, so I was here for that, and that was very exciting. Like, that experience of coming here and seeing, like, a very, like, Latinx, BIPOC crowd for theater, um, and what it was like for Carmen to have the show there, and to be, we were working on it at the time, and to have that response was so... Um, mm exciting and unique and that's why I wanted New World Theatre to bring our part of clean here to get that response from this audience because it's such a singular experience like yeah how cool 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 yeah because Caminos I mean is run by produced by Aluna and Native Earth and Aluna definitely calls in the Latinx Toronto community Mm -hmm. um, and Native Earth brings in their beautiful community too so yeah you're totally right it's singular and we've been talking a lot about like polycultural art making and like theater experiences and this is definitely a place where that happens absolutely so now your work is here mm-hmm. clean so tonight tell us about your show clean tell us more Ooh. um uh yeah so the show came out of a couple of impulses um i'm always looking for opportunities to make work for women um mm. That's kind of one of my number one agendas, which means as a playwright with the platforms that I have right now, which is writing roles for women in shows that I think might get produced and um, putting female leadership through directing, design, translation, dramaturgy, 
Um, so that's always kind of my, my not secret agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, but this came out of, um, I, so two years ago, I visited um, my dad and my aunt worked at a t- um, timeshare all-inclusive resort in Cancun. And I went to visit them for the first time. And it was such a wild experience. I stayed at the resort. And I've never been to anything like that before. Like, um, you've never been to a resort before? No. Mm-hmm. No, of course. Like, yep. w- why would I? <laughs> yeah. But I went. Yeah, and totally. it's such a freaky experience in so many ways. And yeah. I felt so split. And, like, the guests, that, like, there were you know, Canadians and Americans, and there were rich Mexicans, and then there's the people working there, and just the strata of everything, and feeling myself be so confused about where I fit in, and, you know, going, and then taking a rental car and driving, like, just 20 minutes away into the jungle, and meeting people who are actually living and working in that area, and just how, how divided it is, and then, of course, being a mixed-race person, that I'm Mexican-American on my dad's side, and, um, like, a white British settler Canadian on my mom's side and always feeling the pull between those two things and the complications and so I wanted to write a play for two women that um, kind of explored those two halves which meant always writing just outside my own experience with both of them and to kind of um, mess with any assumption that you have about either character. As soon as you see them, you think, well, I know what that is. Yeah. That's mm. a Mexican maid, I get that and that's like a basic rich white girl, like I know what that is. And the whole point of the play being like, you don't. You don't know anything about anyone until you really know them. Wow. Yeah. Did you, have you been back to a resort since that experience? I haven't, no. Okay, so you've just been like exploring it in your mind. Yeah, in your yeah. research. Doing research and, yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty fascinating culture, I would yeah. say. Like some, yeah, like I think we were talking about this weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But like people, there's some people out there who just, they have their resort and they go there every year. Yeah. And they just, it's a pillar of their lives. And uh, it's kind of like an interesting way to feel elevated, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like you have everything catered to you for this one week of your life. It's like super interesting. Yeah, and trying to like trying to always um, never score easy points. Mm. So to know that also the people who are there as guests like worked their butts off to get a resort vacation and yeah. really care about their experience and like want to have a nice time and like this is the only vacation they're getting in two years so it counts yeah and then yeah to just always to never let it be simple of like oh I judge you or whatever mm-hmm. and also to um that those some of those resort jobs are really good jobs mm-hmm. like they pay pretty well like and that um it's a point of pride for for folks to work at resorts like those so like totally. that and it's complicated and then also, like, the whole, you know, in the stretch of hotels um, around Cancun, it just, like, they're literally just chopping down jungle to build these mega resorts. Yeah, and a lot bad. of them are owned by American companies, so the money isn't staying in Mexico. And, like, mm-hmm. it's complicated. But then for individual people, it's a real thing. Yeah. So to, to by having two perspectives, to always, always be challenging, as soon as you settle into one thing, you'll hear something else from the other side and you go, wait, okay, okay. Um, and the whole, I think what we're working on is the provocation of listening, of deep listening. Um, that um, you have to listen really carefully to these two women and two women who don't maybe get listened to that much um, mm. to really understand their psychology and what they're going through and w- how their encounter changes them. Yeah. Because yeah. they wouldn't be, they wouldn't know who they are 
if they were in that resort together, right? It's like that really particular situation of like. Yes, well, and it's it's really in the excerpt that we're doing tonight, you only see the moment where they really see each other. Mm. And that moment is based on a misunderstanding. And that sparks the actions of the rest of the play. Um, but it's interesting, I've had, uh, when I've shown this play to a variety of people, I keep hearing from folks being like, oh, I wish there were more scenes. But I was like, well, sure, in a perfect world, but in our real world, a like Canadian white lady and a young Mexican woman working in a resort, they don't sit down and have coffee and yeah. say, oh my God, how are you? How's it going? Like, yep. And that's the problem, like that um, they see each other for a split second and that's all they have to go on, how, where they meet each other um, and to really plumb those assumptions and misunderstandings um, mm -hmm. and also to, to, yeah, when we pan out, you see them interact. We, the audience, get to know the depth of both of their experiences and the complexities of that interaction between the two of mm -hmm. them, um, hoping that, like, uh, an audience will take away a greater curiosity. Um, I did a, a reading, a workshop reading for a mostly, um, kind of, you know, mainstream theater audience, okay, white middle-aged people, mm -hmm. and, um, they came at it being very compassionate towards people who work in hotels hmm. and compassionate towards Latinx people. That. But they had never, they said, oh, I never thought that the folks that work at hotels think something about me. Oh my God. Because they were so concerned <laughs> with like, how are you? Are you okay? Am I treating you well? Am I tipping you well enough? Are you okay? Are you being oppressed in this work environment? The tipping thing is a real thing. People get super stressed about that. Yeah, and never yeah. thinking like, they're going like, oh man, her fucking shoes are ugly. Like, they mm. never considered that aspect of it. And so finding that the, the things that I thought were subversive were not what turned out to be when I've started putting it in front of audiences, mm. which is why I was so excited to bring it here in front of a totally different audience, it's gonna have yeah. a totally different perspective. Um, and it's a real treat as you develop a piece to be able to, to do that. Mm -hmm. Cool. And you were mentioning before we started recording, there's subtitles in the piece. Yeah. It's it Spanish to English? So uh, the two characters speak two different languages. So the, the subtitles are in both languages. Oh, okay. um, Yeah, because um, I really wanted, when I was developing the piece, I really wanted, um, the Mexican character to speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew that in terms of putting it in front of a non-Spanish speaking audience that it would complicate the access point mm -hmm. and that that's actually a challenge that the play's presenting to the audience. Like do the work, look at her face, read the thing, like engage and like, if you want to access her, then you have to work harder than you do with Sarah, the Canadian character. Um, but also, um, you know, I was very, uh, budget-minded as always with my producer hat on. And so when we were budgeting for the translation, we were just gonna do um, Adriana's text. And then our producer, Sa Sandra Henderson said, well, you know, do you want all of it translated so that Sarah's text is, is projected in Spanish as well? And, and these like, are the two characters, right? Adriana and Sarah. These are the two characters, yeah. Mm -hmm. She said, yeah, absolutely. So um, now the access point is equal, which is great. That's really good. So if you speak only English or only Spanish, you can come to the play and you have a similar experience to one another of mm -hmm. having to reach harder to access the other character. Um, yeah. Cool. So it's been a real, it's a real privilege and we've learned a lot in terms of our rehearsal. Like we have some bilingual, some like mm, crunchy lingual like myself. <laughs> And then crunchy some lingual TM. TM, trademarked Christina. <laughs> you know, when you're like, like I can kind of read things and I'm learning a lot of words, 
lot of great words from the translation of my own play, mm -hmm. being like, is that what, oh my God, thunder, what a great word, like all of those <laughs> things. Yeah. Um, and then the other folks that don't speak Spanish in the room who are working overtime to access, like to, like uh, Megan, who's playing Sarah, um, doesn't speak Spanish, and she is memorizing and intuiting her cues from Cindy because that's amazing. Yeah, and so like we're really, really listening to each other. Like it's happening in the room already mm, in yeah. different ways than yeah. I used to. That's, that's so cool. good. I feel like something like as uh, as an ESL, you go through it every day. Like it's like we're speaking in my. It's like this weird thing is like my brain is translating, so I'm actually paying a lot of attention to you. Yeah. Like this extra attention you just now learn how to live with in day of day life when you move to another country. You're just like, well. Here we go. Oh no, it's super. It was super real. Like after after first couple of days, I was like, Cindy, like, you're amazing. And she's like, Yeah, I translated back and forth for three years until I like was was ready to like chill. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm getting a taste of that experience, and it's it's intense, and it makes us respect and love and listen really hard to one another in the room, which is kind of an exciting byproduct of yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, so cool. And you've worked with translators on other shows before as well. Mm -hmm. um, for example, Selfie, mm -hmm. which is a TYA show, but you worked with a French translator for yeah. that. So just like as an interesting nugget for people, do you have any tips on working with translators as a playwright? Like, have you learned anything from that process? And if there's a playwright out there listening who wants to work with language and, and translation, is there any kind of reflections you could offer them? Yeah, I mean, so I've had two different experiences in like, um, French, I don't know any French. So I was like, they were like, sent it to me to proof. And I was like, c'est bien. So like, what I don't compelled you to <laughs> <laughs> um, What compelled that? When we got into the, um, the room and I saw the actors, like they had Francophone actors that workshopped it with me in English until it was done. And then we sent it to the translator. And then seeing how they lit up and how the rhythms felt the same. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they're different, like languages are so different and actually like my experience is that my writing has been better translated it suits the other languages better than English yeah. which is like kind cool. of things that seem overwritten in English seem to sit better in French or Spanish which is so funny because I'm like okay <laughs> like I feel yeah. like really struggling but um and how do you see that they sit better do you just like mm -hmm. watch it and and feel that flow happening more or like what gives you I that? I use impression? like a lot of images and emotion yeah. in my writing. Like it's not necessarily kind of bare bones, naturalistic stuff, always. Mm -hmm. um, so certain passages like really feel better and the language just floats it better and you see it in the actor, you see it in how yeah. they breathe and how they move. Like it's really cool. Mm. But selfie was a challenge because I was like, mm, I don't know. But mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like tips is like really, um, you then have to go take a close look at your script and your translator will ask you, like, when she says what, is she saying like, what? Like, mm -hmm. what do you mean by that? Or is she saying, what? Oh my God, what just happened? And you have to be able to pull those things. Mm. And then there's other, like, and translation and adaptation are two different things, um, which I've learned, um, uh, Paula, who's my translator who works in uh, Mexico City, she's a playwright of her own, that's how I first got to meet her and fall in love with her work. She does adaptations as well because like there's cultural, like a lot of her work is taking British or American or Canadian plays and translating them 
into Spanish, but for Mexican audiences. So there's also cultural things that are different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and she told me about a couple of plays where they said, do you want a translation or an adaptation? And they said, well, just a translation. And then they tanked because the culturally it didn't make any sense. Yeah. Like your attitudes about whatever, dating, mental health, like a variety of things don't just immediately translate. Yeah. Um, and so doing this process, Paula was able to flag like a couple of like tiny things. Like there's a part where um, uh, Adri's remembering being a little girl and uh, she says, I forgot to take off my shoes when I came in. I tracked dirt all over the floor. And Paula was like, okay, we don't take off our shoes. Like that's a Canadian thing. 100%. Yes. So say I, I forgot to wipe my shoes on the mat. Like just those little subtle things that make all the difference. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then other things, like there's a line in the play um, where someone's decided to barricade themselves in their apartment and then they realize they don't have any wine in their apartment. It's raining outside. And they're like, that would never happen in Mexico. No. No? <laughs> but uh, well. it's, the, it's the Canadian, it's the Canadian yeah. character. And yeah. she says, um, I... I let it be, I came in here to dry out. And in English, dry out means like literally stay dry, but also dry out from alcohol. Oh. Um, but yeah. that same exact double thing doesn't exist. So in the translation, it just says I came in here to stop drinking, which is not really what the character's saying. She wouldn't say that. Yeah. So like there's other things in uh, working with Gilles for sure when I had more time on selfie we really like came up with like whole other equivalent. I think about that all the time when you're saying like dichos, how you know yeah. dichos in like Spanish and then to translate them is like camarón que se duerme se lo lleva la corriente <laughs> and then we're like, what is it? It's like a shrimp that falls asleep, the, the sea will take it. So you're really exploring Spanish language. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. what about like Latinx identity? It seems like the last two plays that you've been working on have veered more towards like exploring contemporary Latinx thought and, and experience. So have you always felt comfortable writing about that or is that a new thing? How are you feeling about writing about it now? Uh, I'm like, you know, always stressed. I feel a great level of responsibility. Um, and I know that I have kind of um, a platform right now. Uh, like it's so, I don't know, it's so tricky. Like. You know, I grew up in East Vancouver, and um, uh, my dad was in and out of town a lot working, and my mom was always very supportive of me um, exploring and representing my Latinidad, and she's my white parent, um, and my dad had all that, you know, he grew up in El Paso, Texas. Like, they mm -hmm. didn't want to speak Spanish, they didn't want to be Mexicans, like, it was a real thing. Mm -hmm. um, and if I had grown up in Los Angeles, where I was born, like, I would have been racialized in a whole different way than in East Fan where they're like, well, you look white, so it's fine. Like, you know, totally. uh, and it's been, it's been a real journey to kind of reclaiming and understanding and also mining the intricacies of like how different, like for me being Mexican American is so different. Cause like my friends who are Mexicans are Mexican immigrants who came here um, mm -hmm. and their experience is so like, the Mexican American experience is so singular mm -hmm. and people here don't understand that. Like I, I like people outside uh, sort of Latinx communities, um, they're like, oh, that's nice. And I'm like, whoa, is that? Like now that, you yeah. know, they're putting Mexican Americans in, yeah, <laughs> well, we don't have to go there, but now there's a greater, people are we kind of waking up to that and understanding that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, 
but also as I learn more and learn about the complexities of like um, Chicano, Mestizo, indigenous cultures and like how different they are and how like the idea of sort of a, a Latinidad identity is such a myth and that there's so much mm -hmm. actually has taken the pressure off of me to feel like I, even though like when I work in white institutions mm -hmm. as their Latinx person, I'm, I'm representing Latinidad in that moment. I feel like I'm slowly getting my shit together to say, well, this is me as a second generation Mexican-American person living in Canada. Um, mm -hmm. Or with Clean to say, here's two completely opposite versions of who I might have been. Mm -hmm. Both of whom I don't fully understand. One of whom I live a lot closer lifestyle to. Um, and I'm always, you know, uh, nervous. I'm always scared. You know, I, I, I think tonight, like, there's a good chance someone will see the show that we put on and come up to me and say, I don't like what you're doing. And I'm going to listen to that. And that's what I came here to hear and to absorb because while we're underrepresented, the burden of representation on Latinx artists is really heavy. And I know where I stand and I don't intend to speak for anybody but myself or to amplify my experience beyond what it actually is, um, which means listening to community and like really being responsive to that. And that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. <sighs> That's so brave. Yeah. yeah that was, oh, that was very there. eloquent and a lot. I Congrats know. on that. That was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always kind of wondered about the Chicano kind of identity. Like the U.S. Americans, uh, mm -hmm. U.S., sorry, Mexicans, American, Mexican-Americans, um, do have like a kind of like a developed culture and a, a unique experience. And in Canada, we, I don't really... We're just so spread apart, I think, mm, like uh, people from South America and Mexico. And I don't see a unique culture that like blends Canadian and Canada and, and that, I guess. Because if well, you explain like Chicano will be like that subculture that you're talking yeah. about? Okay. Yeah. Well, and also because, as they say, um, we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. So there's long standing roots in that land. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's funny when you travel to the States, as if the United States would be anything without Mexicans. Totally. You'd have no, your food would suck, <laughs> your music would suck, you'd have nothing. Yeah. You'd you wouldn't have Selena. Stupid former colony. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, and um, the class diversity and the racial diversity of Mexicans in America is huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so even, you know, Chicano, the phrase Chicano is being challenged at universities because um, there are aspects of Chicano identity that are based still in Euro supremacy. Mm. That's a whole other, like, just Google it. Like, I can't even, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not yeah, even yeah, going to yeah, try to get into that. Yeah. But also to know, like, for example, like, I know that I'm white passing. And even my dad's side of the family is, is white passing. And that's a real thing. And that speaks to a whole other set of politics yeah. um, that I don't have to, like it doesn't actually invalidate my experience as a Mexican-American, it's part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that acknowledgement is part of it and fighting anti-blackness and anti-indigenous sentiment in my family and elsewhere is like part of it. Um, yeah. And it's hard to explain that to people who are like, oh my God, Mexico, that's so great. <laughs> Up here where you're like, oh, okay, you're really yeah. far away from. There's just so many parts to it. Whew. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's complex, it's complex. Um, so part of that kind of like thought and that experience maybe has informed the creation of Caltech mm -hmm. in uh, Vancouver. So Caltech stands for? 
Canadian Latinx Theater Artists Coalition. So yeah, it's a collective of Latinx artists based in Vancouver, if I'm right. Yes, but mm -hmm. we're looking to be national. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yes. Yeah. You want to speak a little bit about it, how it came to be? Yeah, so a couple years ago, um, there was a production in Vancouver of Motherfucker with a Hat. And the casting announcement came out, and most of the Latinx characters were played by non-Latinx people. And um, some folks from our community made some calls and said, hey, do you want some names? Like, do you want to have Latinx people? And blah, 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 long story short, um, the production went forward, I think, with only one Latinx performer. And so um, we came together for the first time. I think uh, the first meeting started with um, Pedro Chomali, uh, Alexander Lanfiesta and Carmen Aguirre, mm. icon, <laughs> our queen. Um, and then more of us kind of came together out of the woodwork. And I, at that time, was like, am I allowed? I'm only half. I don't speak Spanish. And they were like, yeah, get in. Come on. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and uh, put out an open letter saying, hey, next time, ask someone. See some Latinx artists. We're here. We exist. And our representation is so few and far between that when it's played by non-Latinx artists, it hurts. Yeah. And then they came out and were like, look, some of these people pass for Latinx. And we were like, whoa, okay, oh, all right, let's like unpack this. Yeah. Had a big community forum, not a lot came of it. Um, but what came of it that was really productive was we found each other and we hung out. We started to mm. talk about how can we um, boost our visibility mm -hmm. as a community? How can we show solidarity to when this kind of crooked stuff happens to other communities? How can we go in and say, hey, um, we stand in solidarity with your action here? Um, for example, when the um, NAC's Indigenous Wing uh, was not funded, we put out a letter saying, you know, we condemn this decision to not fund the most crucial kind of national theater Mm -hmm. movement that we've had in the last forever. Um, Solidarity, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And so to um, find Latinx artists, especially folks like we're lucky living in Toronto, Vancouver, yes. but there are people working kind of and doing their thing in isolation in other parts of the country. So to create a, a space where we can find each other, um, where we can um, talk about what's going on, we can share casting calls. Um, and this doesn't just mean actors, right? This means designers, dramaturgs, playwrights, producers, like to, to get the Latinx perspective, whatever that means, mm -hmm. um, in as many places as possible. Um, and it's really exciting. And, you know, I found uh, when I was workshopping um, El Terremoto, I was looking for actors and feeling kind of discouraged and feeling like, oh, I don't know, I'm being told that I won't find the people that I need. And then I went into the database and I was like, we're everywhere. <laughs> like, and there were people in my own city that I hadn't met yet who are doing film or who are looking to break into professional theater and haven't had the opportunity yet. Amazing. I'm like, oh, we're here. So that's kind of what Caltech is looking to do. So cool. So the database, just to clarify a little bit, there is like a database online on the Caltech website that you can put yourself into, slot yourself in, and uh, be join this beautiful list of growing people. So if you haven't done that and you identify as a Latinx theater artist, anyone can apply. Yep, you just, you just okay. a Google form, you put yourself in. And we're kind of looking for a critical mass before we launch, so yeah. tell so your get friends. On it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we will. Cool. How do you ma wear so many hats? I want to know, like, when do you know, like, I want to do a play now as an actor. I want to just write a play right now. I want to, you do so many things that I'm like, how do you choose your own stream of like, this is what I feel now. 
Oh my god, I'm very tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a it was a wild year. Like this last year, I was lucky enough to do four shows back to back as an actor, mm-hmm. um, and then I had to immediately start working on um, another play that had a reading in June. Um, and so I think a lot of it is like um, letting myself be fed in either direction. Like being getting to be in shows and be in front of audiences. Um, helped me as a playwright kind of consider what do audiences like, what do they need, mm. what do they want, what do they want to see. Like, you know, I find audiences are bored so often because we bore them, so what surprises, <laughs> what do they want? Um, and being there every night with audiences and not just like opening night when it's reviewers and all your friends and all the people who want to get hired by the company that's doing the show, but um, the yeah. people who come and like spend their hard-earned money to come out to the theater, they choose that on a, you know, Wednesday. Um, to take that in and let that be part of what inspires. Then when I go back to playwriting um, and take that there um, and to be inspired to, you know, watch uh, watch TV programs that have content that I'm interested in, to listen to podcasts, to... Um, feed yourself. Yeah, to feed myself, to feed my creativity mm-hmm. and to be organized. Like I have my little like semi-bullet journal with like all of my to-dos and my like long-term timelines and trying to be more organized and yeah it's a it's a challenge it's a challenge but I love I love all the things that I get to do I love acting it's so so fun and so um, hands-on with the work and I've gotten to play a couple of culturally specific parts in the last while and coming up I'm doing Anywhere But Here Carmen Aguirre's show that's going to be like a real moment Mm. um, for Vancouver and for like a large-scale Latinx production to get to be part of that is huge and then as a playwright to know that um, I'm, to be conscious of when I write, I'm making work for specific people. And so like with Clean, um, I knew that I wanted to make a like big, satisfying, complicated role for a Spanish speaking actor. Like that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so whenever I get tired, I think of that and that gives me the hustle to just like keep going, to think of like, it's not just about me, it's about the community and like where my putting my effort that's going to make a difference and that's going to um, uh, continue the energy continuing out. Yeah, that's awesome. And one of the things I'm, like, I, I'm struck by by you is that you really do consider the audience in your shows. And I've heard you talk about that before too. Like lots of playwrights that I know have these really compelling ideas and just want to dissect them, but you really do think about the experience of the audience. And I always wondered, does that have anything to do with musical theater as a thing because I feel like musical theater is really aimed at like the entertainment factor and and it's something that you have been passionate about Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering how does musical theater influence your playwriting I don't I don't think there's anything uh to be ashamed of of being populist like you would hope that you're making work that people are gonna like Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they might like it and be challenged by it or they might like it and be um uh, offended or uncomfortable or whatever, but there's nothing wrong with like putting an audience's experience first. There's nothing I want to hear less from artists, to be honest, than um, oh, the work speaks for itself. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. not true. Like, that's not. That's like never. That's never been true. Um, you don't just get to wash your hands of it and walk away because the conditions in which you make work um, say something. The people that you engage. Um, and the, the moment, the literal moment, the year, the month, the conversations that are happening globally and in your community, like, so there's no just like, oh, yes, well, 
it is what it is and my like art. don't write me letters about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel for myself um, what influences that is that I worked in box offices for four years in Vancouver yeah. and sold thousands of theater tickets and people come to the theater for all kinds of reasons. Like it's expensive, people need childcare, they need parking, they need transportation. Yeah. It's an investment. Like people don't just come for fun or cause they're just like anonymous bougie people. Everyone comes for a reason. Could be senior citizens that want to get out of their house and be with other people. Um, there's a lot of young people who come to works because they're curious about people whose experiences are different than their own. Um, there are people who come yeah. because it's a date night or they're taking their grandkid out or mm -hmm. whatever. Like it's very important. Nobody just like flippantly comes to the theater. Mm -hmm. So you should never flippantly say, well, here, take this and speaks for itself. Like I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes, sometimes makes my life a lot harder when I'm like, oh my God, if I had to sit down with each person in the audience and tell you why I made this play, <laughs> talk to you about your experience and how it intersects with my work and how you feel about it. If I had to talk to every single person here, how would I back up what I'm doing? Oh man, then <laughs> you get away with a lot less shit. <laughs> Well, but tonight you can talk to her about clean. After. Come up to me, find me. Uh, so we're going to close up right now. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh my God, thank you for having thank me. Thank you again to Dulcinella. Amazing food. Delicious. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. thank you. Thank you so much. Radio Luna Teatro is produced by Aluna Theater with support from the Metca Foundation, the Laidlaw Foundation, the City of Toronto, the Canada's Council for the Arts, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Toronto Arts Council. Aluna Theatre is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Schwellness, with Sue Ballant and Gia Namens. Radio Aluna Theatre is produced by Camila Diaz Varela and Monica Garrido. For more about Aluna Theatre, visit us at alunatheatre.ca. Follow at Aluna Theatre on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook. Follow and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts.